This podcast is sponsored by third-party logistics provider Kane is Able, who works with consumer goods manufacturers and their retail customers to get products to market faster and for less anywhere in the country. Kane provides solutions for labor management, warehousing and distribution, contract packaging and transportation, both asset-based and brokered. Kane improves logistics efficiency for a variety of companies, including food companies that require temperature-controlled storage and transportation. And now, on to the podcast. A logistics aid organization finds itself in the eye of the storm. Actually, two of them. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Allen, the American Logistics Aid Network, was formed in the wake of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Seven years later, it found itself in the teeth of Superstorm Sandy, which walloped the eastern seaboard from Florida to Maine and was especially devastating to New York and New Jersey. Allen sprang into action, calling on its extensive collection of trade associations, private businesses, and relief organizations to rush supplies and equipment to storm victims. How it fared is the topic of my conversation today with Kathy Fulton, Allen's Interim President and Director of Operations, and Richard Sharp, CEO of Competitive Insights, LLC. They talk about how Allen applied the lessons that it learned from Katrina to respond to Sandy, as well as the new challenges that it encountered. And we learn how the organization is gearing up for the next big disaster. So here is my conversation with Kathy Fulton and Richard Sharp. Kathy Fulton, welcome to the program. Thank you. And Richard Sharp, thank you so much for being with us. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Let me start with you, Kathy. Could you just give me a very brief description of what is Allen? Sure, I'd be happy to. So Allen, or the American Logistics Aid Network, uh, is a nonprofit that supports uh, disaster response and recovery activities um, for other nonprofits. We help them coordinate their uh, logistics during disasters. Um, we help provide education services between disasters so that they are well prepared um, to do the work that it is they do um, during disaster response. We were formed right after Hurricane Katrina um, when uh, a group got together at a supply chain conference and said, uh, you know, the business community really has a lot to offer uh, to su- to su- help support emergency management and nonprofit uh, logistics response. Um, so that's how we came about. And, uh, we've been active in every um, U.S. disaster uh, since that time. U.S. specifically, or do you also respond internationally? 
also when there's an international incident, we, we work specifically on the domestic side of things. Uh, many of the nonprofits we work with have um, international arms, uh, but we'll help, with, we'll help them with their U.S.-based logistics response. Okay. So getting items to port so that they can get, um, so that they can get uh, overseas. All right. Well, we will link to the organization's website in the show notes uh, in order that our listeners can get more information about Alan. But I want to move directly now to Alan's response to Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy or whatever you want to call it. Tell me a little bit, uh, whoever wants to respond to this, about what were the specific unique challenges of responding to Sandy. Communication outages. And so all of those uh impacts uh, are not just impacting individual survivors, but businesses as well. Um, so I think that um, the ability to restore uh, restore activity within supply chains was impacted by all of those, um, uh, the totality of the event. Yeah, I, I, this is Richard. I would add to that. I think that's exactly right. Uh, the other consideration was just the uh, ripple effect of the assets that were impacted in the supply chain. Uh, the uh, terminals that fuel would normally be coming in were disruptive. Uh, as Kathy said, the, the electrical grid, there were a lot of uh, considerations that as one thing started to fail, it would cascade into a number of other things. We also have to remember the concentration of the assets that are in that area, uh, meaning you know just the food, the power, the fuel, all the things we've mentioned, but there are a lot of a lot of people, a lot of trade going through those ports, and when all of that starts to fail, it can be uh, uh, very, very difficult to recover, so certainly a, a complicated situation. Yeah, you mentioned ports. As my, uh, my understanding is that most of the fuel used in New York and New Jersey region is delivered through water-based terminals, and that a lot of those channels were blocked uh, by the storm and that a lot of seaside terminal equipment was not usable. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And then, of course, you had no what appears to be no fuel to power backup generators at the various key locations, too. Was that a, a default in preparation, or is that just the way it's going to be in any community when something like this hits? I think that there, was, um, it, there were plans for fuel, um, and there were plans to replenish fuel for, for generators. Uh, in, in some cases, we saw that uh, um, that fuel was, was taken um, by other entities, um, uh, government specifically, uh, or they, the plans fell through. They were not able to, um, to get the fuel where it needed to be. Um, you know, individual uh, fuel uh, stations were not operational because of power outages. Um, we saw fuel rationing, um, so it was, as Richard said, kind of cascading effects. And and the length of the event uh, is another consideration because most of the backup generators that are in place will have a limited amount of fuel to to uh, operate those generators. And you know, if the replenishment arm to replace that fuel is not uh, operative, then obviously you have a problem. So. Uh, the length of and the duration, and then the access into the areas where the fuel needed to be delivered. There were certainly restrictions being imposed with regard to who was allowed to go where, and uh, you know 
that is too can can add a lot of complication if you can't get the right services or the right equipment or the right supplies to the right you know location to continue to support the disaster response. Well, Allen was born, so to speak, in a hurricane, as you pointed out. So I would imagine that would give the organization a certain amount of expertise in addressing another hurricane. But it does seem like there were a lot of conditions in New York, New Jersey, which were quite different from those of New Orleans and the Gulf, correct? No, I would agree. I think that's that's exactly right. The, the, a very uh, good lesson learned from Katrina, though, that was um, – certainly applied by Kathy and Jock and others who were responding to Super Sand, Storm Sandy was the, the consideration that what would be most effective in the response effort would be a pull system where instead of people anticipating what was being needed uh, by those in harm's way, uh, you know, within that area, we were trying very hard to learn from the, the feet on the ground, if you will, uh, with regard to what the actual needs are and where they were needed. Uh, that can be very complicated because communications can be difficult in the situations. But it's very important to try not to put things, you know, into the system that aren't necessary and just kind of get in the way. You want to be able to be very specific and accurate with regard to supporting those that are giving disaster response, and that means right place, right time, right product. Well, certainly a pull system presupposes the existence of an efficient communication system, as you say, Richard. How would, how did the people on the ground communicate upwards with the people who were providing the aid as a res in, the, in the Sandy situation? So there are uh, a lot of coordination efforts that happen um, during any type of event. Um, those are supported certainly by um, private sector entities who, who are working to bring communications back on, online um, and as well as emergency management groups who are trying to uh, disseminate information as best as they can. Um, it, it's really uh, groups who uh, form from private sector entities, uh, business emergency operations centers, uh, who are focused on what is the information that is most critical to keep uh, businesses operational? Uh, those groups were, were holding uh, information sharing calls. Um, there were websites set up. There were you know, any manner of uh, communication, social media. Uh, I, I think Sandy is probably one of the, the first events where we saw the emergence of the use of social media to, um, uh, to really help uh, share information. Um, and so all of these uh, all of these sources were um, being utilized just to try and push the information out to the people who could utilize it and, uh, and, and to pull information back from the private sector about what resources were available um, to be deployed where and when. What did the very first thing that Alan did uh, when Sandy hit? We, we didn't wait until the storm uh, you know hit the hit the uh, the coast of New Jersey. We were active well before that actually when it was down in the Caribbean. Um, we were lining up resources, letting people know, uh, letting uh, our community of, of supporters know that, hey, we may be calling on you. This, you know, we don't know where this storm is going. We don't know what it's, what it's going to do. Um, but we may ask you to help, uh, help provide warehouse space or to help provide transportation. Um, so we are we're engaging with, with the businesses. We're um, engaging with our emergency management partners, letting them know we're available, available to, um, uh, to provide information 
and support uh, connections for them. Uh, and then certainly on the, the voluntary agency, the, the nonprofit uh, side, um, we're staying in constant contact with them um, you know, before, during, and after the event, trying to understand what it is that they need, how we can help them. The, 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 a big difference between uh, this last storm and, and Katrina was Alan was, you know, not really uh, an entity uh, when Katrina hit and soon after became one. But what the years have, many years have been spent in building out knowledge with regard to disaster response, but more importantly, building relationships. So in communications, for when I think about the stories of, of uh, the response effort for Superstorm Sandy, there was a lot of trust in what Alan was doing that the information was reliable uh, and that the information could be used to, to drive action. And that only happens um, when there is a, a relationship built between the entities. They know you're there to serve them and that you're trying to do whatever you can do to uh, enable them to provide more response. Hey, I want to take a moment to tell you about Kane is Able, our podcast sponsor. Kane is Able delivers logistics solutions that are specially designed for consumer goods companies and their retail customers. Kane attacks the key drivers of inefficiency in the retail supply chain. To address high labor costs, Kane's innovative workforce management solution spikes labor efficiency 10 to 20 percent while improving performance. To bring down final delivery costs, Kane's retail consolidation solution combines your freight with other Kane customers to slash those delivery costs 20 to 35 percent. And to address your need for a flexible, adaptive distribution capability, Kane's coast to coast network of shared distribution campuses provides the infrastructure you need while paying only for the space and services your volumes require. Whether your need is distribution, packaging, or transportation, remember, Kane is able. And now, back to the podcast. I'm reminded of a story that I heard, Kathy, from you and Jock, that basically certain information about, I think it was fuel availability was being offered, and there was some misinformation. People were, were actually communicating things from one group to another that just weren't true, but because you had so many uh, re uh, conversations going on, you knew that to be the case, and you were able to dispel that miscommunication and save a lot of energy and activity for people, if, if I remember that correctly. Yeah, yeah, the, that's exactly what the situation was. You know, we spend a lot of time... Um, uh, listening to calls and understanding needs from, uh, you know, across the, the various uh, players. And um, sometimes our best role is to uh, uh, to be that information source or, or you know, uh, dispel misinformation, as Richard said. In any situation such as this, you are almost sure to encounter a level of chaos, especially with terms in terms of human behavior, high incidence of crime, looting, theft. How does Allen protect itself in trying to get these supplies to where they need to go against that kind of a threat? Quite honestly.
honestly, there are pockets of, of places where you'll see high looting and, um, uh, you know, theft and, and those, those types of activities. And certainly some of that was, was taking place um, during Sandy as it was during Katrina. Um, but for the most part, people really want to help. They want to, they want to support their neighbor. Um, they want to make sure that, uh, uh, that the people that they've known and, and grown up with are, are taken care of. Um, but we, we really work, the, the way that we protect against that is we work with reliable um, uh, nonprofits, people we've vetted, people who are, are members of uh, an association, the, the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster. Um, they have their own vetting process. And we're making sure that, um, that anything um, that we're being asked to support, any move we're being asked to support, any warehousing we're being asked to support, um, is, is taking place um, for one of those uh, trusted partners. Bob, the other thing I would add to that is that, as you said it just a moment ago, because we're trying to introduce an efficient system where we're actually pulling the things that are needed, we're, we're looking to know exactly where it is needed and who needs it and obviously what the item is that is needed. Uh, if you think back in Katrina, uh, a lot of the response efforts that people were giving, which were all you know, heartfelt and certainly for the right reasons, were not necessarily the right things or going to the right place. So you had problems where people were looting and taking things because they were basically in transition, if you will, and people were taking advantage of that. We're, we're trying to get directly to the, uh, the location of the need and do that as efficiently as we can. Do situations like this generally involve good cooperation among different aid organizations? I would imagine sometimes that you might even run into problems with other groups trying to do the same thing you're doing in terms of jurisdiction, in terms of limited availability of infrastructure, with both of you trying to get someplace at the same time. Did anything like that emerge? What is really interesting about this world, when we were trying to really understand how disaster response works versus the way, you know, we thought it worked. Um, we learned that the VOADs, you know, in, in cases of non-disaster um, events, you know, they're, they're looking for donations. You know, you could call them somewhat of a, of, in a competing environment because it's only a limited amount of resources that people can give. But when you're in a disaster response, those organizations are very much team players, and they're known for their specialty. Some groups are known to be the group to call on to run all the canteens, all the food distribution that is actually feeding both the, the people that are in harm's way as well as the volunteers, and that's what they do. Other groups are known to be warehouse specialists where they are actually setting up an efficient operation, and all the other disaster relief organizations respect that. So it's not perfect in any stretch of the imagination, but I've certainly been very impressed with the way that there is a, a sense of cooperation and, of course, the state, um, you know, has a, a key role in that as well as far as coordinating across those volunteering groups. So, um, you know, it, the issues aren't necessarily getting each other's way, I think, as much as just having good, accurate communication and then access to resources. Kathy, you don't see what? a competition among organizations that can sometimes uh, actually harm uh, their response, ability to respond? So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, two tacks with that. The first between the the nonprofits, um, especially within the VOAD community, they have what they call the four C's. 
uh, communication, cooperation, coordination, and collaboration. And everything they do is, is seen through that lens of um, uh, it, it's not about us, it's about the, the disaster survivor. And so they are working, uh, you know, doing everything they can in order to um, make sure that survivors get what they need. Um, secondarily to that, you ask about, um, you know, uh, competition for resources. Um, I think sometimes the competition for resources comes into play uh, when, as Richard mentioned earlier, about uh, people sending supplies in that may not necessarily be needed. Um, we've seen this situation uh, over and over again where there's a, a shortage on uh, trucking because um, uh, because someone gobbled up all of the, the transportation resources uh, for what they think is probably the best use of them, but when you look at it from a system-wide perspective, um, it doesn't necessarily uh, do the most good for the, for the entire community. Um, you know, and so we have to look at competition not just among the nonprofits, but also uh, the business community and, and government, um, and making sure that there's a coordination of system-wide resources. Um, so that uh, so that businesses are also able to maintain um, their operations. So, in the Sandy response effort by Alan, what were the biggest challenges? What went wrong? What were the surprises? I mean, every single incident like this is going to is never going to go a hundred percent like clockwork. Where did you run into your biggest obstacles? And I think Richard touched on this earlier. I, I would say getting um, information that is accurate and um, deduplicated, um, you know, we would get the same request from, from three different sources and, and you have to figure out, okay, um, do I need five trucks of bottled water or do I need, you know, one truck and five, per, five people have asked me for that, that same resource. Um, so getting to that, that ground truth or that common operating picture um, was was definitely uh, a challenge, um, especially when you have multi-state, multi-jurisdictional. Um, I, I would say, from from my perspective, that was the biggest uh, biggest issue. I, besides, there not being enough uh, you know enough resources to go around, you're going to get you're going to get a lot of requests that you're not going to be able to um, to help fill just because of the the size of the event. Richard, any perspective on that? Any particular big challenges? No, I, 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 I totally agree. I think that, along with um, just what we offered in the beginning, you know, the complexity of the of the event, where the rippling, you know, just it just began to cascade in ways that made it even more serious. And then the length of of the time it took to basically unravel that and and, and start to allow for things to to get into the area effectively, and the concentration of the people. I mean, clearly, there's you know, it's a, it's a very um, densely populated area, and all of those things added, I think, um, issues to the response effort, if you will. Okay, so every incident is a learning experience. What did Alan learn from the Sandy response that he can use in future responses that will make it an even more effective organization? The, the biggest takeaway for us was um, getting that local boots-on-the-ground knowledge, um, having someone who can... Um, advocate uh, on our behalf, collect information, um, help the, the groups who are, who are doing the activities, um, you know, day in and day out to understand 
um, what it is that Allen can offer, um, but also to gather their needs uh, rather than, you know, waiting on phone calls and emails to, to go back and forth. And, and so for us, you know, a key takeaway and, and what we're going to do different in the future is we're building out this regional volunteer network um, so that we can get um, more people engaged and, and get that, uh, that information uh, flowing more rapidly. Richard, a parting thought on how you think Allen can be more effective in the future? Well, one thing I can say with certainty is that we're not going to change the emphasis on building relationships. It's a little bit of a twist to the question, but it became very clear to all of us that the time that's being spent over these years to get to know the local, uh, state, and national organizations that are involved in that, both government and uh, the you know volunteer organizations that are involved, the fact that Allen was a known entity and one that could be trusted was uh, definitely an, an asset to the environment, one we're proud of serving. And I think that we would never want to change that in, in how we approach uh, future activities, for sure. Well, I'm sure that uh, there must be a number of uh, groups and organizations and companies out there that would love to get on the bandwagon with Alan. Your work is really effective and really valuable and going forward. We wish you all the luck in your in your future efforts. Uh, your website, alanaid.org, correct? alanaid.org, which we'll also link to in the show notes. Uh, Richard Sharp, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much. Kathy Fulton, thank you so much for, for speaking with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Hey, a final word from our sponsor, Kane, is ABLE. Delivering comprehensive logistics solutions for supply chain execution, including labor management, warehousing and distribution, contract packaging, and transportation. To learn more, visit KaneIsAble.com. That's K-A-N-E isAble.com. Or call 888-356-KANE. Well, that's our show for today. That was Lessons in Crisis Logistics from Kathy Fulton and Richard Sharp of Allen, the American Logistics Aid Network. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. See you next time.